We're going to take a little detour from our normal study this week. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, if you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's on page 977. And I want to jump into the text pretty quickly, but before we do, I want to tell you why we're going to take this little detour. Um, For me, when I think about my life and when I think about following Jesus, one of the helpful things to me is to think about the calendar. There are natural breaks in our calendar, natural transitions in our calendar where it gives us time to both to reflect on where we've been and to look forward to where we're going. And I think this break, as we come out of the summer season and into the fall, you know, for those of us with kids, or, or even you feel this with your grandkids, you know, the, the, the process of coming into the school year, right, there's this normal, natural transition. And I want us to think about, both as a church and as individuals, what does this next chapter of my life look like as I follow Jesus? Today I want to talk about, using Ephesians chapter 4, I want to talk about growth and maturity. I want to talk about how God is calling us to change and to be more like Jesus. And as we look through this passage, at the end I want us to sort of take an evaluation of where have I been, what have I been doing, and what perhaps is the new thing that God is calling me to do. So with that in mind, let's hop right into the text. Let's begin by looking Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, admittedly, I've hopped into the middle of a passage, so let me catch you up real quick here. So at the beginning of chapter 4, we have Paul urging the Ephesians to live a life worthy of their salvation. And central to this is bearing with one another in love and being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. And after speaking about the unity of the church, Paul ends that section by speaking about how God has given each Christian gifts according to his grace. And then what follows in 11 to 16, our passage for today, is how then we are to live our lives growing together in unity and growing in maturity as we use the gifts that God has given us. And to begin that part of the passage, here Paul begins by talking about the gift of leaders to the church. That one of the gifts that God has given his people is the gift of leaders. And they're described here with five words. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, there is some debate on specifically understanding these different titles, specifically the apostles and prophets. And if you want to know more about that, 
You can go back to a sermon that I gave a couple of years ago on this passage where I give more time to that. But for our purposes today, I want to focus on the common denominator of all five of those words. And that is leadership through the proclamation of the word. This is what ties all Christian leadership together. We lead through the word of God. We use the word of God as our guide and our standard. And that's the foundation we stand upon for everything that we do. Then Paul tells us the reason that God has given the gift of these leaders to the church. Look at verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, later on in the text, I'm going to talk more about the building up of the body of Christ because Paul's going to come back to that idea at the end. So let me focus on this idea of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Central to the leadership of God's people is the work of equipping. Now, the first thing I want you to notice here is the active feel to the life of the church. Sometimes there's a trap that we fall into of limiting the life of the church to attendance of religious services that we may sing along with, but that's really the end of our participation. If that's all the church is, then what do we need to be equipped for, other than perhaps some singing lessons? Now, our Sunday services are central to what we do as we worship God together and sit under the preaching of the word. But what we can see here as an undercurrent is that the life of the church is more than our Sunday services. Right? Sunday services are central. But there's more to our lives of following Jesus than merely attending service. The other thing I want you to notice is that the leaders are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, normally, if I were to say the word ministry to you, you would think of missionary or pastor or maybe elder. But the work of the church involves everyone. In that sense, every member is a minister. So one of the questions this text must raise is what ministry has God called me to do? And the first step in answering that question is to have the conviction that I have ministry to do. All of us do. A healthy follower of Jesus knows that as a part of the community, we both receive from the community, but we must also give to the community. We'll talk more about this when we talk about being a part of the body, but for now I want you to simply focus on that truth, that God has called you, God has called me, to minister to others. And this, along with the idea of leadership being leaders who equip others, can lead to a shift in how we think of our membership in the church and how we relate to our leaders. Leaders care for God's people, yes, 1,000%. And we are called to lead people to do the work of ministry. But this leads me to one of my favorite non-Bible proverbs about leadership. And that is, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. 
Now, I have some funny horse stories that I will forego this morning about the ability to get a horse to drink or get them to do what you want. It is harder than you'd think. And I'll talk about getting kicked by a baby horse one another day. It still hurt, even though it was a baby. But what I want you to take away from that and seeing in this idea of equipping is that the elders and I can help you. We, we can equip you. We can guide you. But we can't do it for you. We can help you find the water, but you have to take a drink. So as you think about what God is calling you to do, where God is calling you to change your life, the elders and I want to be a part of helping you do that. But ultimately, we can't do your spiritual life for you. And with that in mind, Paul then shifts to this wonderful picture of what maturity as a follower of Jesus looks like in verse 13. Look at that verse with me. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the status of the fullness of Christ. This is one of my favorite metaphors in the Bible about the Christian life because I think it is so helpful because it matches the complexity of our world. The word picture that Paul gives is of a kid growing into an adult. By the way, can, can I just quickly use this time as a corrective to a common way that we speak about the Christian life that I don't always think is helpful? Often I hear people talk about doing deeper or going deeper in their faith. Now, oftentimes this relates to wanting to do a study of the book of Revelation. And I know what people mean, but one of the problems I think happens is when we overconnect going deeper with just gaining more knowledge. Now, we'll see that we are to grow in knowledge, but the Christian life is more than this just gaining more biblical knowledge. And so this is where I think a category of maturity is a better understanding of what we are to do as followers of Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are on a lifelong journey to mature in your faith. And again, as we'll see, this includes gaining knowledge, but also in what we do. But, but let's, let's pull on that metaphor a little bit, this idea of a kid growing up into an adult. Think about ways that we know that someone matures from a kid to an adult, So usually it corresponds to age, but not necessarily. We think of ideas like delayed gratification is a sign of maturity. We think of making good and healthy choices. We think of the ability to care for others or to be responsible for others. And when we list those out, I I think you can see how this is an effective metaphor for our spiritual lives. Being spiritually mature includes delayed gratification, making good and healthy choices, and caring for others. And we also have a few specific markers of maturity here in the text. 
First, we have the unity of faith. As each of us matures, we are more and more united as the body of Christ. As each of us matures, we are more and more united by our common faith. In this way, immaturity is seen as an over-individualized faith, where our only concern is what we get out of it. Secondly, another marker of maturity in this specific verse is the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, I don't know if I've used this analogy before, but one interesting thing about the French language is that there's two verbs for to know. And one of those has to deal with knowing facts, and the other one you use about knowing a person. And I think that distinction is helpful when we talk about knowledge of Jesus. Right? Yes, we need to know what the Bible says. We need to know about Jesus. But our relationship with Jesus is more than being good at Bible trivia. Right? We, we want to know relationally Jesus, our Savior. But do you see how those play off each other? You can't know nothing about something and claim a relationship with them. We are to grow in our knowledge both about Jesus and our knowledge, our relational knowledge with him. And that's the final point I want to end with is Paul's very clear of what this maturity looks like. Again, using this picture of a kid growing into an adult, not just any adult. What adult is at the center of our pursuit of maturity? Jesus. To mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're not just growing up into some amorphous idea of adult. We're growing into being transformed into becoming more and more like Jesus. You know, there are many false pictures in this world of who you should be and who you should aspire to be. There are so many gurus on the internet. But in one sense, they're all wrong. Because we shouldn't grow up to be like them. We're growing up to be more and more like Jesus. But along with that, again, I want, I want you to see this undercurrent. There's no complacency in the Christian life. There's no, like, I have arrived. Because if the goal is Jesus, you've never arrived. <laughs> Unless you want to be really proud about yourself. <laughs> and then we have other questions we need to ask. Verse 14, then Paul says, okay, here's, here's who we're trying to be. We're trying to be mature like Jesus. But then in verse 14, he does something interesting. He says, here's the danger of being immature. Look at verse 14 with me, because again, he's continuing this idea, this picture of a child versus a mature adult. Look at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. 
Again, so he gives us this picture. Here's what maturity looks like. It looks like Jesus. It looks like being an adult. But here's the danger of when we're not mature. It says, no longer be children. And then he gives this picture of, of a child being in a large body of water. So picture trying to swim in a large body of water or like a small boat, like a kayak. And you have this picture of a child because of their lack of strength and maturity being tossed to and fro by the waves. They're not able to stand up against the wind and the waves. Why? Because they are children. And then he tells us, I'm not actually talking about swim lessons here. I'm using this as a metaphor to talk about the false doctrine, the human cunning, and the craftiness and deceitful schemes of this world. There's so many wrong messages in this world, and part of being a grown-up in our faith is being able to stand up to all the false teaching that exists. To not just be knocked around by whatever anybody says, having no foundation, just like a child amongst some waves. If you don't have mature spiritual strength, and if you don't have the strength of the unity of the faith, you'll be a victim to all the forces of false teaching that exist in this world. Part of why we need to grow up in our faith is so that we can stand up to the waves of false teaching and the lies of this world. Now to stretch the metaphor a little bit here, think of it this way. It can be easy to trick or confuse a young child, making them think that something is is true. But if those same tricks were used on an adult, we'd be really confused if they still worked. We would all know that something's wrong. I remember, let me tell a little silly story about this. Many years ago now, I did an impression of the voice of Ernie from Sesame Street at a party, and the parents of the kid and I thought it'd be funny to tell the kid that I was the actual voice of Ernie. Now, fooling a five-year-old is one thing. That should not work on a 50-year-old. One of the reasons we must mature in our faith is to protect ourselves from the false teachings of this world. See, we both see like, hey, our goal is to be like Jesus, mature to be like Jesus, but also watch out. There are dangers if you don't pursue maturity because you'll get tossed around like a kid in the waves. Let's look at the second part of our passage here, beginning verse 15. By the way, though, I just want to point out verses 11 to 16 are all one sentence in the original Greek, one giant run-on sentence. So when I say the second half, it's really just the second part as we divide it for our own ability to consume it. But again, this is all one idea. And this next section of the text gives us a tool for growing in maturity 
and then gives us another picture of what growth should look like in our lives. So let's look verses, look, begin verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. As we'll see a little more in verse 16, Paul moves to a related metaphor to speak of the church as a body. So he goes from this metaphor of growing up from a child into adult, where he's still using the human person to talk about our faith, but now he switches to the parts of the body. That the God's people are one body united together. But we still have this idea of growing up. Of growing together. Growing more and more like Jesus, here described as the head of the body. And we are to grow up in every way to be like Jesus. But Paul specifically tells us in this verse one of the necessary tools for this growth. And that is speaking the truth in love. You, as an individual, cannot grow. And the church as a whole cannot grow without speaking the truth in love. Now again, it's sort of an assumed undercurrent here, is that this assumes a community of believers. You can't live the Christian life by yourself. Because this assumes that we're speaking the truth and love to one another. It must be more than just speaking the truth and love to yourself. And I think this is true mostly for the reason that we are so good at lying to ourselves. That do you really trust yourself to always speak the truth and love to you? But more importantly, we need to see that Paul combines here a need for both truth and love. Without truth, we will not change because we will just be content to stay where we are. Without love, we turn into a bunch of jerks who only care about owning each other and winning arguments. Now, I want you to think about the last time or a time when someone spoke the truth to you in love, which resulted in sincere change in your life. One of my favorite stories about this in my own life happened at a pastor meeting many years ago. And I was complaining to the group on behalf of a friend who was having difficulty finding another church job. And in my mind, he was not being helped by our district, and he was not being considered by churches because they thought he was too old. And he was in a weird spot in his life that mirrored mine. I was getting told I was too young, he was getting told I was too young or too old. But he was also a little too young to retire. It was a tough spot. And so I had one of my typical lunchtime rants to the group. And afterwards, one of the older guys in the group pulled me aside. And he showed me, in a clear way, the stuff I just didn't know. He spoke truth that I was unaware of that would have changed a lot of what I had said. And so he spoke truth to me. But he also did so in an incredibly loving way. Number one, he didn't do it in front of everybody. (laughs) Or in the parking lot that we were all standing so that bystanders could see me get owned. But he pulled me aside, spoke calmly 
clearly, and it was based off of a relationship we already had. And to me, what a great example of speaking the truth in love. He corrected me where I needed correcting, but he did so in a way that he showed he cared for me. When we speak, when we speak truth, we do so for the betterment of others. And we speak kindly, you know, even how you speak can change what people hear. So we speak kindly even when we have to speak candidly. And and undergirding this is, is often the context of a caring relationship that was already there. You're never going to be best friends with everybody here at the church. But it's important to have relationships at varying levels across the church body. Where at a minimum, people know that you care about them. And when we're able to do that, that's able to be a foundation for sometimes having to have uncomfortable conversations. Where we do need to speak candidly about what's going on. But, but I come back to this. I don't know the last time I really changed in a real significant way without someone speaking the truth and love to me. We're really good at just carrying on. But if we really want to change, if we're honest with ourselves, that begin by speaking the truth in, in a loving way. So, so who in your life, well, who, who has permission to speak the truth to you? And then who do you care enough about to speak truth to them in a loving way? See, this is where we move from just the individual to a culture, where we value speaking the truth in love, where we do our best to speak the truth in love because that's, that's the culture in which we are transformed to be more like Jesus. Now this leads to the, the next verse, where, where Paul, again, goes to this metaphor of us being a growing body and all of us being different parts of that one body. So look at verse 16 with me from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Paul compares the church family to a body, and all of us are different parts of the body. So dibs on being the church spleen. I called it first. I want you to see two aspects of the body in this part of the analogy. So the first is that the various body parts must be connected for there to be life. Your kidney cannot survive if it's not connected to your body. But secondly, the body is healthy when each part is working properly. 
So if your heart is not pumping blood, your body is not healthy. So we got these two aspects that just like your organs cannot grow when they're separated, so too the body, the whole, is helped when everybody is playing their part. We need each other. We can't grow separated from the body. And for the body to be healthy and growing, we all have our function, our part to play. We all receive life from being connected to the body, and all of us serve the body with the specific gifts that God has given us. And one line I want to draw here from what we talked about earlier with the idea of maturity is that we cannot separate our maturity from this call on our lives to serve the body with the gifts God has given us. Again, sometimes I worry that people only connect maturing their faith with gaining more knowledge or doing another Bible study. And again, that is central to who we are. But sometimes we're stunted in our spiritual growth because we're not serving others. You have to see how both growing in knowledge and growing in using the gifts God has given us combine to grow us in maturity. And God has made you the way that he has made you, just like he designed the parts of the body. So be the kidney, be the shoulder, be the spleen that the church needs you to be. And when we all play our parts, when we all have our function, which, by the way, are usually different from others, see 1 Corinthians 12, a little more about that, that when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So like I said at the beginning, I want to take some time to think through, as, as we transition from the summer into the fall, we take this natural transition point and say, how is God calling me for this new season? So the first thing, the first big category, is, is at a basic level, I want us to be committed to growth and maturity, which often entails change. Again, the Christian life is more than just attending religious services. Religious services are central to what we do. We have services for the corporate worship of God. We have services and groups like Bible studies and Sunday school so that you might grow and mature to be more like Jesus. But undergirding that needs to be this commitment to maturity. Now, it used to be really popular for churches to say, come as you are. And in one sense, that's totally right. Especially in a day, I remember talking with Dave Stevenson about this, where you really did need to own a suit to come to church. And there was a good intention there. to Say, look, you don't have to already be perfect to come to church. You don't have to dress in a certain way to come to church. Just come as you are. But once I heard that phrase improved in this way, come as you are, but don't leave like you came. The church is in the business of change and transformation. 
And we need to view each of our lives through this lens of growth, maturity, and change. That all of us, no matter how young or how old we are, are in the process of growing more and more to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. Or to be committed to a life of speaking the truth in love. Essential to becoming more and more like Jesus is living a life that values and practices speaking the truth in love. And we must all be committed to speaking the truth in love and listening when others speak the truth in love. We as individuals and as a church must speak truthfully or nothing will change. And we must speak the truth in a loving way or nothing will change. And this kind of life needs a community. You need other people to speak truth in a loving way to you, and other people need you to speak truth in a loving way to them. It's a great reminder that you cannot live the Christian life in isolation. And this is a way where we both give and receive in this community. And so who do you allow to speak truth in love to you? And thirdly, I want you to ask yourself this question. What does growing in maturity look like in your life today? Can I give you three categories that I use for my own life? The first is, do I need to mature in my understanding of Jesus and the Bible? Is there an area of knowledge that I need to grow in? Do I need to be, uh, have a better commitment to reading the Bible during the week, not just on Sundays? You know, it's sort of a shameless plug. Do you need to commit to come to Sunday school? It starts next week, as you heard earlier. Do you need help making a Bible reading plan or help selecting a book on a theological topic? Again, that's one category of growing in the knowledge of the Son of God. Another category I use for myself is do I need to mature by serving in a new way? One maturity goal I think everyone should have is to serve in a significant way. Now, I use the word significant there advisedly because this looks different for everybody. Okay, just because you see someone doing something doesn't mean you have to do it too. But I want you to think of it this way. There should be some cost to your service. Again, maybe that's time. Maybe that's the stress of taking responsibility for others. There there should be something that stretches you a little bit about your service. One of the ways I want to encourage you in this is, and, and I think I've shared this before, but when I look back at the people I knew who claimed faith, who were my peers when we were kids, and the ones who still claim faith today, one of the biggest differentiators that I see are parents who served in a significant way. All of us have a duty of care towards our other church members. And as we saw at the end of this passage, when we're healthy, it's when all of us are both being served by the church but also serving the church, just like parts of a body. 
Thirdly, the third category I use when I think about this is, do I need to mature in how I interact with unbelievers in the outside community? Another passage that I find really helpful in this is Matthew 5, 13 to 16, which speaks about us being salt and light in our world. And, and I use these as categories in my brain to say, how am I serving? How am I being salt to the outside community? And then how am I sharing the gospel or sharing truth and being light in my community? At the risk of using this example too much, I, I think about our involvement in the kids' sports, which, just as an aside, often God uses what you're going to do anyway to be salt and light. So lean into it. But when I volunteer to be a baseball coach, I'm serving my neighbors by organizing practices, encouraging their kids, and giving them a safe place to be. And I view that as a part of being salt, serving the people around me. But then, as I've shared before with you, this has often been a platform where, now that I have relationships with these people, we are able to talk about the things that matter and to have spiritual conversations, to have conversations about Jesus, about parenting, and to be that light in my community. You know, generally speaking, people won't care what you say until they know how much you care. And so maybe God's calling you to step out of your comfort zone a little bit. And maybe he's calling you to mature in how you relate to the outside world. How you relate to your neighbors, how you relate to your community. And how is God calling you to be both salt and light to the people around you? You know, my goal today is to start your thinking, to sort of prompt you to where God is calling you, maybe in a new way, to to take advantage of this time of year as we transition from one season into the next, to say, where have I been and where am I going? And what are some of these ways where God might be calling me to do something new, to grow as a follower of him, to be more and more like Jesus? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us this morning, that we would be listening for your call on our lives of ways we might mature and grow as we follow you, that we would have soft hearts and open ears to what you are saying to us, that we would have this deep desire not to remain as we are, but to be conformed to the image and likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, that you would give us clarity as you give us opportunities to serve and to be light to the dying world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite those who are helping to serve communion to come forward at this time.